If you will, open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy. This is the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. You can count on it, and you can read it. Isn't that kind of cool? You can count on it. It is the Word of God, but then you can read the Word of God for yourself. And so right here in 2 Timothy 1, we read this verse last week, and we taught last week, uh, the sermon was called dunamis, right? Power, the Greek word. And we uh, read from this verse right here. This week, same verses, part two, it's going to be called agape or love. And right here, though, we're going to go back and read the same verse we read. And um, I believe God's going to help us, minister to us. The seventh verse said, for God... 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God has not given us, this is not from God, a spirit of fear. Something that would make us back down, back away. We mentioned this last week, that fear comes to people. Fear comes in so many ways to people. And uh, sometimes uh, you can have fear coming at you, and it's almost as if we need to remember that that's fear. You know, uh, the TV tells you, you know, we're in an economic downturn, and then just the thought comes, you're going to be affected by this. That's fear. To get you fearing. Oh, this change, that's going to cost you some money. What are you going to do? Fear. There's another pandemic. Fear. You know, they'll even show you how the germs will run up your arm and, you know, I mean, not to sound whatever, but there is a lot of fear in the world. And the Bible said God has not given us a spirit of fear or that does not come from God. Often when Jesus dealt with people, and wanted them to get the results God wanted in their life, a major thing He would address is fear. Fear. When it came to finances, it was fear or worry. Similar things. And uh, so, or really the same thing. You know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And really what's happening is, He's trying to get you the enemy, to get your mind off the author and the finisher of your faith or the one who can make all the promises come to pass and get you to focus on the things of fear. Are you with me? And there's loads of them. I mean, you know, all, all the talk now is could this thing that's been going in Ukraine end up being World War III? I mean, there's all kinds of opportunities for fear. Are you with me? Car companies do it. They'll you tell you, ours is the safest. Implying if you don't have ours, you better watch out. And what does that do? It's just fear. The world is not motivated by God's way of thinking. That's huge. Because there's a lot of talk about common sense. And you need common sense. Technically, there are no verses that talk about common sense because what is common sense often will make you go against what God's doing. Amen. And the way God works. Common sense tells you focus on your problems. God tells you focus on Him. Amen? That's the truth. So here he said, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. So fear is induced by a spirit. Or you could say it like this, induced by a lie. Fear and worry are induced by lies. If you gain ground with God and you're now free from drugs, 
He'll tell you, yeah, but it won't last. Why? Get you focusing there. Well, when will it end? To get you fearful. To get you to yield. Yeah, this blessing you're experiencing, yeah, it'll only last a short time. What does he want you to do? Get your eye off of it and on something else. Abraham, the father of our faith, in other words, the one whose faith we are to follow, one of the great factors about his faith working was he didn't consider contrary circumstances. Fear is always connected to contrary circumstances. Worry is always connected to contrary circumstances. And you just have to know that. And so if he said God has not given us, or you, or I as a believer, a spirit of fear, or fear that's promoted by evil... He said, but power. Now we mentioned this last week, that power here is the Greek word dunamis. And he said, I've given you a spirit of power. The Holy Spirit in you is power. And here's the thing, how can I measure this power? Because power is subjective. I have a powerful car. I have a more powerful car. I have, you know, this is a power company. It's all, they're not all equal. They're different. And so when he said God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, you can see these two phrases are married in Jesus' ministry. What do you mean? When he would say, don't fear, only believe, and you will see God's power work. And we saw last week how that God has given you and I a spirit of power. Dunamis. What does that mean? If I've got it, is it automatic? If you've got the power... I got the power. You got the power. Do we have the power? Does the power work automatically? We saw from Jesus' ministry a familiar verse. We've read it at different times. Mark 6 said, Jesus there could do no mighty work. We know that. But we saw last week, it actually reads... Jesus could there do no dunamis. But he was doing dunamis in other places. And people were being healed. And people, so this dunamis that Jesus had was from the Holy Spirit. We have the same Spirit, but the problem is we don't always believe the same. And when he said he could do no mighty work, he basically, the way it reads in the Greek, is he could do no dunamis. He, he was attempting, but how many people really would fall into the same category as those people in Mark 6? How many people here or in the world would fall into the same category of not having... Now, Jesus had the dunamis with him, but now we do right now. But how many of us would fall into the same category as them? Say, how could we fall in the same category? Remember, they said, who does he think he is? We know his family. We know these different people. How could this be that, that you know, and they started imagining wrong about him you know how we short circuit this power in us we think wrong about ourselves well if I had this power I'd feel it 
Same exact power. No different. But he couldn't get it to work there. Now he put it in us. And it's cool that we can read that word there and other places that this was a dynamic power that would deliver people from any harm and then keep them. And if we think, well, yeah, it would work for other people, but not me, why? Or it'll work a little bit, but surely not as much as the Lord. No, it's the same. Same. He gave us the same Holy Spirit. But little thinking makes little people. By experience. And it can harm you, you know, to think big. Ow. Why? Because there's enemies to thinking big. Thinking the way God wants you to think. So when he said, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power... We mentioned how to get that power and how he said that power, Peter used this same word, that if you trust, you will be kept by the power of God. Dunamis, which is the word we get dynamite from. So this is not a normal power. This isn't, what is his name, Anthony or Tony Robbins motivational course you have the power to succeed that is not this this is a power that only comes from God it's not the same they have found out they're a spirit being but you have to be made new to have this power you have to be made new in Christ and then his spirit will come and live in you and make his permanent home and then you can experience this power. But it's not automatically going to happen. But it can happen. It should happen. God wants it working in our lives. But then the very next thing he said, he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power, and then of love, and of a sound mind. This is the spirit of love. Now, this is a love that is not like the world. As a matter of fact, this word right here, agape, is a word that never existed before Jesus said it. Jesus was familiar with this. Because the Bible said God is love or God is agape. If you want to know God, you have to know love. Amen? As a matter of fact, if you want people to know that you know God, you have to walk in agape. Amen? And we can grow in this. Just like we can grow in knowing God, we can grow in giving this to other people. And we have this. Because we have the spirit of love or agape in us. And this is a real interesting thing because as a Christian, you can actually live your life in some degree outside of this love. Are you with me? You, you can live your life to a degree outside of this love. And here's another thing. We can live this life outside of love if we're not careful. Meaning one toward another. In ways that maybe we haven't thought. Turn to Philemon. It's one chapter right before the book of Hebrews. We're going to read some interesting verses today. And look at this in a different way. Because, you know, we're taught love... Right? We're commanded. Jesus even said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another 
But it's interesting how love is to be approached or can be approached and how it should be a vital part of our lives in ways maybe we didn't notice. Notice this in Philemon verse 8 because there's only one chapter. It says, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting. Well, in our day and age, we'd say this, He's a minister. He said, I'm going to command you. He said, I could be bold and command you. Do this. This is a command of the Lord. And he didn't say it was wrong. But is there a better way to bring the same thing over to somebody? Or another way to bring something over to somebody? You know, there is a little meme, you know, the little, you know what a meme is. It's a little, kind of a cartoon, but digital type thing. And there was this one with this, looked like a stuffed penguin sitting in a chair with its arms crossed. And it said, yeah, the thing I was going to do, I was going to do what you told me to do, but just because you asked me, I'm not going to. You know, somebody's trying to motivate them to do it. Do this. No. Yeah, I was going to, but now because you told me to like that, I'm not going to. You ever run into that? You ever been that? You ever know somebody like that? Is there a different way to do this whole thing? Look at this. Therefore, though... I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting. Command what is fitting. Bold. That's what we need right there. Command. Bold. What's fitting. Notice verse 9 though. Yet, for love's sake, or because of divine love or agape, I appeal to you. What was he doing when he was writing to this church? He said, I could command you to do this. I could be bold because it's fitting. But I'm going to appeal to your walk with God and the very agape that's inside of you. Because why? God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power and of agape or love. So he basically said, I'm going to appeal to you, to who you really are. He was basically saying, instead of just having this command to do something, I'm going to present this so that you can allow this love that's in you to dominate you. Notice two presentations. I could command you what's right, what's fitting, or will you be motivated by love? Will you let love be the thing that drives you, or just a command? Because if love drives you, not worldly love, because there are different types of love, different words in the Greek, but we're talking about the love of God drive you. This is a total different way of approach. How many people are like, I command you? But what if we appeal to what's truly in a believer? And give them the opportunity to let love come forth. Notice, it would be the same result... The same action. Why didn't Paul just go forget it? I'm just telling you. Because he wanted this new life and this new nature to dominate them. Not just to follow some rules. He wanted them to be driven by new life, new love, the Spirit of God. How many of us, God has tried to drive us 
from the inside. I mean beyond our mind. And so he's appealing beyond a command. Notice this. I appeal to you. Yet for love's sake, rather, I appeal to you. Then he goes on to discuss about himself. Being uh, such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you. For my son, one Simus or Onesimus, depending on who's pronouncing it, who I have begotten while in chains. Now that doesn't mean he had a love child. He's in prison and he has a concubine. Somebody said, what's that? You don't need to know. Anyway, so he's got a kid. What does it mean? He talks about people he had begotten in the gospel. See, this one Simus or Onesimus, you know, this character here was known among these people. And he was not, uh, in his former walk, the most shiny of goodness. And he had wronged these people. And Paul basically is telling them, I'm appealing to you. There's a command to do it or the love to drive you. And he said, I appeal to you, or I appeal to you for my son, one Simus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. In other words, he led this guy to the Lord. This guy is now serving the Lord. And it's like Paul's over here, this, where, where Philemon and this group is, is over here. And he meets this guy who knows them. And he's like, hey. Starts talking to him, leads him to the Lord. And now this guy's going to head back. Notice this. Verse 11. This one he has led to the Lord, who he has started to build up in the Lord, and the guy is starting to grow in the Lord. And isn't it true we have a command to love people, to do things a certain way to people? But shouldn't it be we activate what's really in us and let what's really in us drive us out of our relationship with God than just a command? And so he said, who was once unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. And he explains his profitability to Paul. He said, I am sending him back to you, therefore receive him that is uh, my own heart. Now, if you read Paul's life, he loved lost people, but there were people who did him harm that he said, watch out for them and so on. But when he said, he's my very own heart, he's talking about, man, I've made an investment. I led this guy to the Lord. I reached him. I've helped develop him. He's starting to serve me, but I'm going to send him back to you now. Because he believed he would have been a prophet to them and a help to them. But what he's trying to do here is clear up some bad, bad air. We shouldn't leave bad air in our lives. And we should not just let it go by command... All right, I have to. But we should let it go by the motive of love that's actually in us. Paul writing to that young minister, you know he faced things. You know people talked about him. His message on Sunday. Whatever it was. And they talked about him. And he told him, you have to stir this up. This gift that's in you. So power there. Love that's there. But, but how many of you know, sometimes you're stir, trying to stir love and stuff that opposes love is coming at you. And here, he's talking to him about two paths. A path of obey what is true, what is fitting, what is right, or let the love guide you down that path. 
And so he said, I'm sending him back to you, therefore receive him that is my own heart. Verse 13, whom I wish to keep with me. In other words, he had been helping him, so he was like, I wanted to keep him. But he said that, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. In other words, he was ministering to him, and he was doing stuff while he was in prison. And then verse 14, he said, but without your consent, wow, Paul was not selfish. He asked them to respond in love. And here he's responding in love. He could have used this. He could have used this. I mean, if we're going to follow Paul as he followed the Lord, then we have to follow this motive of love. And it's really the nature that's in us. And he said, I mean, this is what makes a relationship, a home, a friendship, a relationship in church, our relationship with God, what it is and makes it dynamic is this love. Not just this power. But notice he said in verse 14, but without your consent, I wanted to do nothing. That your good deed might not be by compulsion or pressure. In other words, going back to that whole pressure thing. As it were, but voluntarily, which he said in the context, was a motivation of love. Me volunteering. In other words, I didn't just get commanded. I yielded to this and volunteered. I know this is the experience of people after people give their life to the Lord. They just want to serve Him. We need to be careful that even if we follow a command to do something, we make sure love has its place. And that we're compulsed or driven by love. Yeah, I want to do this, Lord, just because it's got to do with you. I know this is a minister telling me to do this, and it does line up with your word, but I can obey it, or I can obey it out of a motive of love. Both will bring the end result. But there is a different dynamic at work, because it brings God into play. Notice this. Verse 15, For perhaps he departed for a while, for this purpose. What, what purpose? That he might be saved? He might grow up in God? Might be committed and start serving? That you might receive him forever? Wow, look what Paul gave back to them. And he could have commanded them, take him back. But he had some old dirty laundry. But he said, receive him voluntarily out of a motive of love. He said, no longer as a slave. But more than a slave. You know, in our walk, somebody said, well, we don't deal with slaves. Slaves were a common thing back then all over the place. It was a way to pay off debt. It was a way to do things. But you know, sometimes when somebody owes somebody something and they should genuinely let it go out of love and they've even been commanded but they don't let love take its place, they try to enslave people. I'm not going to treat you right. You're going to be my slave. And then well-meaning people are hurt. Because some people won't walk in love and they're really trying to enslave people, trying to manipulate people because they won't let this love dominate them. And he said, don't receive him back like a slave. The command to receive him back may have caused them to receive him back like a slave. The receiving back in the context of love involuntarily 
Because the command, okay, I'll do it. But here, love, volunteering to do it. He said, here's the context and the way we bring him back. Paul had identified with this. When Paul gave his life to the Lord, the church was scared of him and didn't want him. But there was a man named Barnabas who received him in love. And I wonder if that's the backdrop of this divine inspiration. He said, don't receive him back like a slave, but as a beloved brother, because now he's saved. Now he's growing in the Lord. Now he's serving. Especially to me. But how much more, in other words, he's that to me, but especially to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Because he was of their flesh, but now not only is it a flesh thing, this has now become a spiritual matter. And it's interesting how these two things are married together. I could go on a bit more. You could read more. And he talks about, you know, how he had owed things and stuff like that and how Paul approached that with them. But notice this. Turn to 1 Corinthians, for time's sake, the 12th chapter. And we're, like I said, we're going to look at this subject maybe from a different way. But we have this love, and it's very important for us to really endeavor to get this love going, out, in action. 1 Corinthians 12, verse... Well, I'll wait till I get there. That way you don't read on without me. We all travel together. 1 Corinthians 12, notice verse 31. He said, But earnestly desire the best gifts. Now he had been going through here in this context of the 12th chapter, talking about varying gifts. Things that were from the Father, things that were from the Son, and things that were from the Holy Spirit. Each one was different. There were administrations or things that God put in the body. There were things that the Lord, graces the Lord gave, and then manifestations of the Spirit. He was covering all three of those in this statement. He said, earnestly desire those, those gifts, those things, you know, uh, be open to those things. And then he said, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Yet I show you a more excellent way. In other words, something else has to be married to all this that I'm talking to you about. Sure, these things are great. Sure, these things are wonderful. But there needs to be, just like in the command... I can command you, as Paul said, to do this, or I can let you give way to the love of God and do the same thing, but the results are going to be different. And here's the same thing again. A more excellent way. What is the more excellent way? Verse 1 of the 13th chapter. It was love. Though I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but, but have not love. In other words, I can pray in tongues. I can pray in the Spirit. But if I do not have love, I have become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. In other words, I am praying... But love is going to add something to it. In other words, I'm commanded to pray in the Spirit. I should be driven by a motive of love. I do this because I love God. I do this because I love people. Well, it's a command. I mean, if you're not going to do anything but by command, do the command. But he said... Be driven by love. Then he goes on to say the next thing. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries. He's a know-it-all. If you're a know-it-all. 
How many know-it-alls do we have here? Okay, one, two, how many other know-it-all? How many know a know-it-all here? And they're sitting next to you. No, I'm kidding. And um, see, you got a lot more hands there. No. <laughs> oh, they're right next to me. They didn't raise their hand. But they're always right. Everybody else is always wrong. He said, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith, so that I could move mountains. Well, right there, that's all I need. I need my mountains moved. How many need your mountain moved? Problem. That's all I need. But he said, look, you could move a mountain, but if I do not have love, I am nothing. In other words, I am devoid myself, even though I'm getting some results. I can get results, but there's a, something devoid in me. Now, just like Jesus tried to get that dunamis there, and he could do no dunamis, uh, we could have love in us and get results and get certain things, but notice he said, I'm nothing. But we are something, but we're really something when we're walking in love. Notice verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, you know, at the stake, really, as a martyr. That's pretty admirable. I mean, who doesn't want... I mean, who hasn't hurrayed, hurrah, for somebody who's been a martyr and given their life for the cause? I mean, who hasn't? I mean, there are different movies I look at, and you, you know, from World War II, and how certain people just were willing to give their all. And I think, wow, look at those people. You know, they didn't even give their all with guns. They were smuggling people and doing all this to keep people alive. But there are different ways that that, that can be done. A command or the compulsion of divine love that's in us. And isn't it interesting, he said here, if I become a martyr or die for my faith, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. You know what's interesting? There is a martyr's crown and a garment and a way and a place for a martyr in heaven. For it's written in the book of Revelation and there's different things that a crowns belong for certain activities that people do. Could you imagine, um, you know, being a martyr and then for eternity a crown has certain rank. There's all, it's a sign of rule and we're going to rule and reign with him and people will have multiple crowns or one crown or, or whatever. You know what I mean? And he said here that if you do all this stuff, but you don't even do it with a motive of love, he said, it won't profit you. I wonder if we look and go, wow, that's cool what they did. But if the motive is wrong and they're not walking in love and they're not doing it because of love's sake, they're doing it just to show the people. He said, it won't profit me. But from our vantage point, it profits me. Everybody looked at me and went, dude, he got burned alive. What an awesome guy for Jesus. I mean, wouldn't you think that? I mean, man, Pastor Linda went on a mission trip and they, they beat her to death for the Lord. <laughs> Lindsay's thinking, I'll do that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> And, uh, but you know, we might go, whoa, praise the Lord. I remember when I was in India teaching in a Bible school for a semester, and I remember about two, three weeks into the school year, I think it was, sometime in the school year, the founder of the school uh, came in and said, hey, one of our students passed away, uh, was martyred. 
And they all sang the song. They all knew it. I was like, whoa. You know, it's real. And, and they always sing that song when that happens. I'm like, whoa. But what if my motive in doing that is not wrong? I get the admiration of man. But what if there was a crown waiting for me and I don't get it? Now don't think, oh, big deal, a crown. This ain't a Burger King crown. You get a, get a Whopper and a crown. And a fry. Might as well throw in a fry. You know, those fries. That's all I got to say. But notice this. He's showing a more excellent way and that there's payoff when this is connected. Let, let's, for time's sake, jump to some more things. Matthew 4.14. 4, Matthew 4.14. 4, I mean, our motive for all that we do. Why do we come to church? Well, we're commanded to. But there should be a higher level. I do it because I love God. I'm here to support what He's doing. It's not just a command to me. I, I could command you. Why do I give? Why do I serve? Why do I love? Why do I reach people? Because I could reach people out of a command. And you get the result. But there's a more excellent way. This verse right here is, is a fascinating verse. Matthew 14. Verse 14. I'm sorry, I said 4. 14. Chapter 14. Verse 14. Now remember, Jesus is our, our example of how we're to do things. It says this in verse 14, And when Jesus went out, He saw a great multitude... And he was moved with compassion or with love for them and healed their sick. What if we see a multitude but we're not moved with compassion? Love. What if we have a friend and we've never been moved by love to share something with them? We have a command to reach people, but what if love dominates? Would it change how we do things? Have we got into a command mentality instead of a love mentality and heart thing? Here's an interesting thought. A man who was involved in the healing revival was a prominent figure during the 50s that swept across the United States. They had a magazine called The Voice of Healing. And uh, the, these 50 or so national people became national ministers uh, would meet and talk about healing and talk about how to minister in truths and, and they were all in this magazine and this one minister that was part of that group said in, in, in this area of healing he said if I can ever get moved and he was talking about this he said if I can ever get moved with the compassion of the Lord for people miracles become greater the power of God moves greater. He said, if I can be moved from within by compassion, it will change things. And it will drive things a different way. Notice uh, Matthew 9.36. When Jesus, we don't have to turn there, He came up on a group of people that He, he was moved with compassion because they were sheep having no shepherd. Well, are we moved with love, or are we, uh, and, and you know, have not only we have a command to reach people, but do we allow love to drive us to reach people, or do we just think, who in the world are all these lost, stupid people? Everybody's looking at one person. I'm not saying anything. No, I'm kidding. But think about it. He was moved with love. And he was perfect. 
If he could ever put his nose down to anybody, it was him. But there hadn't been anybody since him. But it's interesting that even he, in his perfection of who he was, was motivated by love, not just rule and command. Notice this in Philippians. Everybody okay? Philippians. Because we have been given a spirit of power and a spirit of love. And we don't want to just look at this power and think that's all of it. Love is a driving force. And I'm not talking a worldly love. This is a love the world cannot walk in. They can imitate it. But we have it. And let me ask you this. If I have my own being, I have my own flesh, I have, you know, whatever, and I come knock at your door at your house and you let me come in, who and what I am comes in? If you refuse me entrance, then you refuse who I am, what I am. I'm not saying it's glamorous one way or the other, I'm just saying But if you refuse something like that or someone to have free reign, then you refuse what they are. And if God is love, and He has given you the spirit of power and the spirit of love, and you refuse that, then you're refusing other characteristics. Amen? One minister said it like this, if you lock this love away, you will become frustrated in life because you've locked away God, you've locked away His Spirit from working, and you'll become frustrated. What's the cure? Act like you have this love. Notice this. Talking about having a command... And what drives the command? Philippians, you know, or what drives us? Is it the command or love? Now, we can obey the command based on love, or we can just obey the command. But there are benefits to having these two married together. Notice this in Philippians, the first chapter. Paul lived his life like this. And if you see that Paul was a man with great results, and a man who really walked with God, a man that we could go, boy, I sure like these characteristics about him. I mean, I'm not for getting stoned to death. I'm not for the beaten with rods, all that. But some of the other stuff, I'm, I'm liking that. Going to prison, you know... <laughs> Those are pretty cool. Beaten with rods, no, I'm not totally into that. But I like the other stuff. Well, this was one of the things of Paul's life right here. Philippians 1. Notice this in verse 21. He said, for me to live is Christ. Well, to live in love is to live for Christ. Love doesn't seek its own. It seeks not its own rights or its own ways. It's not self-seeking. Man, you want to free up the Spirit of God to work through you? Don't only try to get the power, the dunamis working. Allow love to dominate you. And he said you could stir this up. You can downright say, I've got this. I've got this. I've got the very agape of God in me, whether it's dominating me or not, if you're saved. And notice this, he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Does that seem right there that he put one thing above the other? Live is Christ, die gain. Purpose, gain. How many of us have been in a hard time? You know, we face things like, oh, i just go home to be with the Lord. It would be easier to do that. 
and it would be gain. I mean, if we don't know that, we need to go back to before number one, class one. Because to be with Christ, he don't even have to say it's gain. But he put it there just in case one wayward person wouldn't think it was. But to die, gain, because you're going to be with Christ. I mean, he puts this thing way up there. And then he said, but if I live in the flesh, which means work for the Lord in the kingdom, and then everything else he did because he was a tent maker, or only in one place really. But he said, but if I live on in the flesh, this means fruit for my labor. In other words, it'll produce something if I stay. What shall I choose? I cannot tell. He said, For I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ. And in case you didn't get it the first time, which is far better? Gain? Far better? He is really got his head there. He, there's no mistaking what he's talking about. He said, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. What was he motivated by? A command? Well, he had been commanded to preach the gospel. The Bible said if you don't preach, you know, a dispensation is laid upon you. He knew that. But he said, I could leave. It'd be far better. It'd be better. It'd be greater. I could go. And, or, or I could stay, and he didn't say, if I stay, boy, it's going to be easy peasy, you know, and it'll be all about me. You want to find somebody who's really starting to go somewhere with God, it's not all about them. It's about the Lord. And you want to find somebody who stays on that path? It's the same thing. It's about the Lord and what's, what, what's the most ideal thing. And so what did he say? He said to remain in the flesh is more helpful or needful for you. What was driving him? Not just to command, but he looked at the lay of the land and thought, what's best for these believers? I have a gift to help them. And he said, therefore, being confident of this, that I know that I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and for your joy of faith. I mean, I'll tell you what. Think of this. What if he wasn't motivated by love? Wonder if this would have read different. Okay, I'm going to stay, but you guys are all going to pay for it. You're going to hear it. I'm telling you what, I could have been in heaven. You ready this morning? It would have been far better. I'm, you guys are about to get it. And he said, no. He said, I'm going to help for your progress and for the joy of faith. Look at how love motivated him. Okay, we definitely need to read a different verse because it's getting quieter the further we go. 1 Corinthians, let's close right here. 1 Corinthians 16. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but He has given us a spirit of power. You have power to put to work. Start stirring it up. It's the basis of the initiation of it. I have the power of God. Remind yourself. I have the love of God. I do have a sound mind. Fear would tell you you don't. Fear will tell you, oh, you're going to lose your mind. You're going to be so full of worry. No. Stir up the gift. I have a sound mind. Verse 
1 Corinthians 16. We'll read two verses here. Verse 13. Verse 13, 16, 13. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be a wimp. No, wait a minute. It says, be brave. Yeah, it says, be brave. And then, be strong. Be a wimp. Cry. No, be brave. How can I be brave? You have a spirit of power. You have a spirit of love. You have a sound mind. Well, what about all the calamity? It doesn't matter. It cannot penetrate that if I don't let it. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Don't you be moved. Be brave. Be strong. Then notice this. He commanded the first part, and he said there's a way of approaching and giving a command, but he said also over there about Philemon, he said, or Onesimus, he said, but I appeal to your love, the love you have, and let love guide you in this. Notice, let all things be done through selfishness. Whatever's best for you, because if you do that, you'll be protected. Amen. Let's pray. No, it doesn't say that. Somebody's like, that's awesome. What translation does he have? Mine doesn't seem to read exactly like that. Let all things be done with love. Meaning, taking out the equation of selfishness. Taking out the equation of me. Putting the equation of God in there. Putting the equation of the kingdom in there. And, and so on and so forth. Isn't it interesting? He said, let all things be done through love. That means you may have a commandment of something you're to do, but you're to still respond in love. You may need to command somebody, but are you flavoring it with love? Aren't you glad this is how God talks to us? Not only does He command you, but He loves you. And He gives commands and says things out of love. Because He's thinking about your destiny. I'm going to read this from the TPT translation or paraphrase whatever it's supposed to be a translation it says let love and kindness because remember in the king james version it says love is patient love is kind he said let love and kindness be the motivation behind all that you do Now, I know the world has their viewpoint, and there's a lot of talk about love. And you know why there is? You know why there is? You know why there's a lot of talk in the world about helping people and doing charitable things? You know why? You know why there's, there's a lot of talk about you know, things like fortune-telling and all that stuff in the world? You know why this stuff's out there? Because there's a void in people and it has to be met. And the kingdom of God and the God of the kingdom, Jesus, has all this stuff. He tells us about giving. But if that's not met, well, we'll just meet it in the world in our version. Everybody should give to something. Now that's a kingdom thing. Now, I believe people should give and can give in the world. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying if they're trying to fill the void, I think a lot of the adventurous stuff in the world today is, is an answer to an adventure that's in man to go to the ends of the earth and reach people and explore 
and go and tell. And then it's mated not with just an idea, but the king and the kingdom. Amen? And the same thing with love. There's a lot of talk about love and love yourself and all this. This that I'm talking about is kingdom stuff, period. And it's not selfish. It's not self-seeking. And it is from God and God alone. And when you let this love rule you, you are turning God loose in your life. Amen. You could do it. Here's the big thing when you start talking about love. Love is like here. It's perfect always. Because God is love. So you're never going to hit the mark. What an encouraging word. But be realistic. Oh, great. I can never do that. Be realistic. Realize we're achieving and trying to walk into our best and grow in it. So don't get frustrated where you're at. But if we don't do anything, we'll get frustrated. But if we start responding to this love, we'll start growing. 